and are personally united to the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus is our head. In fact, he is our representative man. The first man that represented you was a loser, Adam, and he blew it all. He was a terrible man to be married to. Now, I use that because the Apostle Paul speaks that way in Romans 7 as the analogy. By nature, we are united uh, as a bride to Adam, the first Adam. And the curse came through him. The wrath of God falls on us. The guilt, the debt we owe, the condemnation came through the first Adam. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale, British Columbia. It is our great privilege to bring the message of the gospel day by day, and our attempt is to truly let the Bible speak. Today we're looking at Ephesians 1, that wonderful text that we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have it all. You have every spiritual blessing. You have every part of God's purpose and program presented to you as a one-item box, and it's all in it. Everything that you need, pardon, peace, assurance, sanctification, justification, and one day glorification. All of these are the one great package deal of the gospel. And I trust that today the Lord will write these things on your heart. We'll have a, a mark moment in private prayer with the Lord Jesus. And my burden is that men and women become men and women of prayer, that we learn to pray and serve the Lord. Stay tuned now as we let the Bible speak. The, the, the wisdom of God's choosing us in union with Christ that's the next line to write out, by the way. Choosing us in union with Christ. Now, we're going to take communion today, but behind communion is union. Union with Jesus. I want you to notice the little conjunction words that are used right down these verses. It's important to understand their significance. Verse 3 says, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Uh, read it this way, in union with Christ, joined to Christ. Then verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him. Now the he uh, hath chosen, that's the Father, hath chosen us in his Son the Lord Jesus, and then without blame before him in love. Also in verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. The word by there could be through. Jesus is the mediator. Everything comes through him. And then in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in the beloved. 
Verse 7, in whom? In union with him, joined to him, we have redemption through his blood. And the simple truth is this, that when God chose us, he chose us with his Son in mind. And God, in his eternal planning, chose his Son to be the head of the church. And God deals with every one of his people in union, joined to his Son. God never deals with his people apart from his Son. And that began in the initial choosing. It continues in the regenerating work of the Spirit, in the cleansing power of the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus. Everything comes to you as a believer, as a child of God, because of your union with the Lord Jesus. Are you united to the Lord Jesus? That's the question. That's the important issue. If you are, by grace, by faith, united to the Lord Jesus, then the Bible says you have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and everything comes to you through him. Now, not only the words of the Bible are inspired, but the analogies of the Bible are inspired. They are there, full of meaning for us. And that analogy of the head and the body, Jesus is the head of the church. We Christians are members of the body. This hand has life and function because it is inseparably, not as possible to separate it, but it is without any break linked to the head. Every part of your body depends on the head. And you can have no function without the head. You could lose a hand. You could lose part of an arm. You could lose your whole limb. I've even heard of people losing their shoulders. What severity of injury that is. You could lose both legs, both arms, and still live. But if you lose your head, you cannot live. And in this analogy that God gives in his word so clearly, Christ is the head, we are the members of the body. Everything you have as a Christian is by virtue of your union with Christ the head. You have nothing outside of him. If you have said in your heart, I will not have Christ as the head of my life, I will not have him as Lord of my life, as Savior of my life. Then you have no part in him. You have no salvation. You have no cleansing. You have no life of his spirit. You have no blessing of the Father. You have no part at all of the package of grace unless you are in union with the Lord Jesus. The other analogy that is given is Christ and his bride. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. And, of course, uh, the blessing of union come together to make a family. And that is a great picture of the church of Christ and his bride. 
And unless you are united to him by covenant, united to him by faith, unless you have said to him, Lord, I will be yours, you have no part in him at all. The other analogy is very well known, the vine and the branches. And of course, once that branch is snapped off, dead. Nothing lives in the branch without the life of the vine. And this all brings the picture to us that our communion, we can't speak of communion. We can't speak of faith and repentance and participation in the gospel or in the blessing of God unless we have union and are personally united to the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus is our head. In fact, he is our representative man. The first man that represented you was a loser, Adam, and he blew it all. He was a terrible man to be married to. Now, I use that because the Apostle Paul speaks that way in Romans 7 as the analogy. By nature, we are united uh, as a bride to Adam, the first Adam. And the curse came through him. The wrath of God falls on us. The guilt, the debt we owe, the condemnation came through the first Adam. But now life, liberty, and grace comes through our second husband, and that's Christ, the last Adam. And you have this opposite, these juxtaposition, one set against the other. Through Adam, we were ruined. Through Adam, we sin reigned. God's judgment comes. We are guilty and have no part in God at all. We're broken, bankrupt. But in Christ, who is now our new representative man, we have through him every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All that he purchased on the cross, all the mercy, all the peace, all the pardon, all the justifying grace comes to you if you be united to him. This is beautifully illustrated in the combat between David and Goliath. You remember David entering into the camp and the brothers and many in the army were all trembling at this giant roaring across the valley. And he shouted, send us a man who will fight for you. And of course, if I win, then we all win. Winner takes all. And if I lose, then everybody loses. Choose you a man for you. And let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And there wasn't a man in Israel that would take up the challenge, not even Saul. And then David said, I will go and I will fight for Israel. And how he went out, and he stood against that 
Goliath. And Goliath said, Am I a dog that you come out against me with your little sling and stones? And he defied the armies of Israel, and he blasphemed the God of Israel. And David took him down. And David won the battle and got the victory not only for David, but for the nation. That is an illustration of our greater David, who went to the cross alone, who in our place represented us as our head, our conquering Savior. And he slew the enemy, and he purchased our salvation through one Christ, united to him, making him your representative man. You have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now, this gets even sweeter when you look at the timing of the choosing, and we've got to praise God for this too because of the timing. It says here that we are chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, this, of course, is more than human minds can measure. We measure time by the sun. If the sun rises, it's morning. If sun sets, it's evening. That's our day. But before there was a day, before there was a sun shining, before there was a world existing, God in his eternal sovereign choosing made the blueprint for the church. He planned it all as the architect of our redemption. And he drew up the list of his elect ones. I build on that because the Bible says, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And God had decreed, not just minded, but decreed, put in the blueprint, each and every one in each generation whom he would save. And he knew you before you were born. He knew your sins before they were committed. And he planned your redemption from A to Z. And it's all of God. And it's absolutely nothing of us. Nothing. And that's why we praise him. That's why we give no glory to self. We don't even take a spark of the glory to ourselves. We give all the glory to the God who hath chosen us by his will, by his purpose. Uh, let's go to verse 5 here in Ephesians 1. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The will there means his choosing, his calling and decreeing, and it is all of God. And of course, that's the reason we praise him. The final one is that we will stand one day before God holy and blameless. It tells us here in this verse 4, before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, the false professor, like the worldling, has no interest in holiness, no interest in being like Christ, no interest in having a pure life that we might be righteous in God's sight. The worldling is filled with the world. But the person who is elect, chosen, called, appointed to salvation, is not only given a new name, but given a new heart, a heart that will love righteousness and seek to do God's will. Now, God's way is to make his people holy. You'll notice that the election is not because they are already holy. Did you notice that in verse 4? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. That's the purpose. That's the plan. And that's why God chose us to make our unholiness to be made holy. Of course, he does that by the cleansing blood of Christ, by the righteousness of Christ, and then by sanctifying our desires and our walk. And, of course, on that eternal day, we shall stand before the Father blameless, justified by the very blood of Jesus. And I close with this last note. Verse 4, to be holy and without blame, before him in love, in love. I don't think anyone here today has ever really tasted the infinite nature of the love of God. I don't think we have even begun to spoon out of the ocean the infinite nature of the love of God. I do believe that every Christian has tasted tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I have read that in times of revival, there were Christians who were praying and worshiping, and the Spirit of God revealed the glory of God so powerfully, so intimately, and so real to their lives and hearts that they said, no more, Lord, no more. Their human frame could not take, receive the spiritual power of the Lord amidst them. Oh, what shall it be to be there, transformed, resurrected with new bodies, experiencing night and day the deep, deep love of Jesus. And for that today, we come with our praises that we might glorify him. We have just a little, what is it called? Verse 14, earnest of our inheritance. A little down payment in this world. It's only a foretaste of the full redeeming love of God that shall thrill our hearts for all eternity. And as we take the cup and bread today, we say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Blessed be. Let us eulogize, exalt, and glorify him. You can't 
do it too much. You can't praise him too much. You can't remember his Savior's love too much. Let's pray for more, more capacity, more grace, more of his fullness. come to another moment in Mark's gospel. In Mark 1, verse 35, we read of our Lord Jesus going into the secret place of prayer, the place of communion with God. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. We have learned already that there is value in the testimony of private prayer. If the Lord Jesus had not been such a prayer worshiper, he could not have taught his disciples to pray. There are also helps to pray, to going into private, into that right place at the right time, that we might seek the Lord in freedom and in liberty. The next thing we notice here is that prayer is really worship. We may wonder why prayer was needed at all by the Lord Jesus. I think the answer lies in the use of the word prosukomai. Uh, this is the Greek word employed in this instance for prayer. It is commonly found in the New Testament, and most often it refers more to the manner of prayer and to worship than to asking and petitioning. The need of material blessing or personal supply is not the focus in this instance. It is the delight of worship, communion, 
and fellowship with God that should strike us. This ought to be our motivation to pray when we go to worship the Lord in the secret place. The Lord freely used the term Father in prayer. It spoke of the nearest relations that they enjoyed, which was never broken apart from those hours of darkness while the Lord hung upon the cross. The Lord's prayer life was filled with praise and devotion. Many times we read of Him praying, Father, I thank Thee. See John 1, 11 and 41 and Matthew eleven twenty five. Over and over again, there's this spirit of thanks and the spirit of praise in the prayers of the Lord Jesus. He did not need to confess sin in prayer, of course. The petition for forgiveness in the Lord's prayer, as given to the disciples, did not apply to the Lord himself. He never sinned and never needed to plead for forgiveness. This is very different for us, for we need to confess sin each time we go to pray. But by using this word prosukumai, which we take as prayerful worship, and by placing the word at the end of the text, we can see that Mark wanted his readers to note the intensity of worship in the Lord's Prayer. The Apostle James used the same word when he wrote that Elijah prayed earnestly. Commentators frequently state that this means that Elijah prayed in his praying. Christ prayed with this kind of praying. His heart was in it. His whole being was engaged in communing with his Father. Prayer is sometimes called pouring out our hearts, seeking God's face, or wrestling with God. We need such earnestness in our praying. The Lord prayed earnestly before particular tasks. He called his disciples before his baptism at the Mount Transfiguration and in Gethsemane as the crushing weight of his death weighed down upon him. But we see here that the Lord prayed with passion in the private place, in the course of his regular ministry. The day that was about to dawn was to be filled with ministering in the next towns, in casting out devils, and in healing a leper. The time for prayer was right, and the place was right. His praying in secret was the secret to his doing the will of the Father. We must learn that secret, too. When we are weak, we must go to the secret place. There is great value in getting alone with God. J.C. Ryle said, It will always be found that when prayers are few, grace, strength, peace, and hope are small. Well, there ends our moment in Mark's Gospel. I trust that you will be a man or woman of prayer and the Lord will lead you into sweet fellowship with himself. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music.